Welcome to Get Your Swag Back with Steve Clements. This podcast is a brash, barrier-breaking, unapologetic look at the modern male, his masculinity, and the lies he is taught on how to attract, date, and act in relationships with women. We uncover and expose the problems men have in the dating arena, especially after a bad breakup or divorce, and show them how to set their ship straight. We also look into the mind of women and why they may stay with one man versus another, unveil the secret language of women, teach you women speak, and the positive traits that women come running to when they see you in the modern masculine man. Make your comeback, take your balls back, and get your swag back. All right, fellas, Steve Clemens back here. We'll get your swag back. Guys, I got a great guest on today. This guy is a transformational type of person. He's gone from being the lowest low into the going to his highest highs, and he helps other guys transform himself. His name is Max Naist. He has a book called Fearless Happiness, and I've read it. A great inspirational book for guys who are you know, at the depths of depression and, and, and just don't know what to do and help you. And this guy helps guys, counsels guys to turn around. And I just want to say, hey, Max, thanks for coming. And I appreciate you taking time out for me today. Oh, thank you for having me, Steve. Yes, sir. Max, I finished your book. I loved your book. Um, some great inspirational moments in your life where you turn yourself around. Like I, I myself turned from my pain point to a PowerPoint. Give us a little background on you, like a little bio and where you came from and where you ended up as and becoming an author of your oh. book. Amazing stuff. Go ahead, buddy. Well, a little background quickly. I have been clean and sober since September 27th of 2003, which is just over 17 years now. Awesome. You know, and before I got clean and sober, I had been married for eight years, had the white picket fence, children, the whole nine yards, you know what I mean? The whole American dream. Right. And then I got into my addiction and lost it all. Lost the house, the wife, the kids. And for nine years, I would go on a journey and like Steve said, pretty much hell of yeah. active addiction, which took me from, like I said, the white picket fence to the streets in about a year's time. I ran with some, you know, crazy, unsavory people, been in some really crazy places. My addiction caused a lot of headache and heartache, absolutely, to the people I loved. And yeah, and then one day, Steve and I were discussing this, the, the turn, one of the turning points for me was when I was in jail the last time and my mother had asked, you know, looked me in the eye and said, you're no longer welcome in my home. If you, I see you, I'm going to call the police. And if the neighbors see you and I'm not home, they're going to call the police. What are you going to do? And I came up probably with the best answer ever. And that was, I don't know. Yeah. And I remember my mom started to cry and I'm like right. looking at her from behind the glass going, what the hell are you crying for, man? I should be, you get to go home. I got to go back to myself. <laughs> you know, and she told me, she said like, that was the best answer I'd ever given her, but it was a true, wow. it was the truth. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was done. You know, if prison was going to be my next step. Then I was ready to go to prison because three hots and a cot I was getting used to. I, I was not living life on life's terms right? Because I was using substances to make me not feel the, you know, the, the, when I went through my divorce, that was one of the most painful, you know, and being young, I didn't know how to do it. And I didn't even have any male mentors at that time. So I, I did the next best thing, which I guess was ingrained in my DNA. And that was drink and use drugs to not right. feel. 
Wow. So in the process of getting sober and really working on myself after four relapses, you know, I, I made a decision the day of my last relapse. I, I, I really, like I've told Steve, cried out to God and said, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do because I can't do this anymore because my choices were prison or death. And I didn't want to go to prison. So right. I, I'm the kind of addict that will go to the wheel, literally till the wheels fall off. And the only way I stop is if I get those silver bracelets and once again, I'm going in, you know, getting locked up. I just made this decision and then, you know, God put the right people in my life. I started working, you know, for me, what got me started was working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the principles that are laid out in those steps. And then just continuing to do the work and, and, and never having an attitude of, you know, oh, I know it all now. I don't need to do no more work, you know, because that's going to get me in trouble because not only do I want to stay clean and sober, but I want to grow as a human being. So a lot of my mentors were always like, you know, never stop learning. There's always something new to learn. And, and I do, even with over 17 years, you know, I could read that big book again and see something I didn't see before because I try to keep an open mind, you know, and you know, and I read other literature right now. I think I, I read this. <laughs> don't laugh at me, guys. But I read this book. It's called The Queen's Code. Right. It's about how women should understand men, you know. But I read it looking through their eyes to help me become a better husband for my wife, you know, and, and learn how I need to communicate with her. Right. I finished that book. Now I'm reading 75 Hard. Right. And I have all these books lined up that I'm going right. to read. Oh, Vision Lakiani from Mind Valley, his book. I'm going to read first one or the new one, Buddha. Buddha's badass. Badass, you know. Yeah, and, I'm reading it. And I got Brendan Bouchard. I've got other books, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and, you know, Steve, you and I discussed 75 Hard, right? Yes. The weird thing has happened. I'm not a reader, never was, right? Because yeah. I would always catch myself reading the same thing over and over because my mind is all over the place. I actually admit, really enjoying the reading now right like, i look forward to reading you know back in the day i would have said i don't need no book i got yeah. hand training i got on the job training i don't need no book <laughs> <laughs> i come from the school of hard knocks man trust me i got plenty of hard knocks i don't need no book but i'm actually really enjoying you know not only the the stuff they have you know the exercise but reading my books yeah you know, 10 pages a day that's awesome man yeah i know i've, I've done that too and I just said, I told you earlier, I just finished reading your book and I got so much good stuff as far as pain points and how you just come to one point and where you're just like, I'm done. Like when you had, you had a gang member in your car and you, the cops pulled you over and they were letting you go. And you're like, no, man, take me in. Can you explain, yeah. go over that a little bit real quick? Yeah. So the last time I was arrested, I was actually on the run. You know, I hadn't checked into probation. I was absconding, as they call it. And I had my mom's car, right? And I had no license, no registration, no insurance, you know. And I'm, I just took her car and everything I owned was in the trunk of that car that day. And a friend of mine goes, hey, can you go pick up so-and-so and bring him over? He's going to come hang out with me, a female friend of mine. I said, sure. And where I lived at the time, it's like one street separated Orange County from L.A. County. And the wow. town right next to us, which was called Wine Gardens, not only known for their casino there, but the gang activity, you know, because mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's really, some of the neighborhoods you just don't go to, right. even though it's neighboring right. Orange County, you just don't yeah, go man. to. 
well, I'd become friends with some of these guys. So I said, sure, I'll pick them up. And as soon as we pulled out on the main street, here's a, here's a LA County Sheriff lights me up and right. pull over, get out. And I can see in the rear view mirror, both guys have gang unit vests on, you know, I'm like, oh, sh-. And, and the guy's a gang member, you know, he's a known gang member in my car. I'm like, oh man, we're both going to jail, bro. He's like, man, this, you know, he's blah, blah, whatever he was saying. Yeah. There was that moment where I just said, I'm done. Like, like I'm sitting here with a gang member. I'm going to go to jail because I got, I'm, I'm on the run. I'm hanging right. out with a gang member, which is a violation of probation. And as the deputy was walking up on my side, I looked out the window and I just told him, I go, you need to take me in. I said, I'm done. Wow. And he walked up to the window, you know, the other deputy took that guy out of the car, ended up letting the gang member walk home. <laughs> and he's like, what did you say? I said, yeah, I got a warrant. I said, I'm tired. You need to take me in. I go, I'm not going to fight you. And he's like, wow. I go, yeah, and this is my mom's car, you know. Right. Well, since you were so honest with me, I'm going to let her come pick it up. And I was like, yeah. good, because you might as well send me to prison because that lady's going to kill me. And I mean, <laughs> You'll be kinda, safer there, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll be safer there. So that began my journey in recovery. Little did I know because I would go to L.A. County for five days. And then Orange County picked me up and then I'd start my six month violation. And that's kind of when the process started, you know, and like I shared with you, I think it was the first or second weekend when my mom came to visit and told me that stuff. And yeah, really made me think like, what am I going to do? I'm right at that time. I think it was 31 years old, just going like I'm 31 years old. All my friends have houses. They're married. They got great jobs and I'm here sitting in jail. Right. Like what's going on here? You know, I got to make some changes, but I didn't know what that was going to be until yeah. we get further down the line. I mean, the other great story about that one director of counseling that you were like, you had done, you relapsed or something. And she came in unexpectedly that time. Go And she kind of said, Hey, get out of here for three days and go find oh, yourself. That was the director of the facility. Yeah. And it was my fourth relapse. And right happened right before that the house manager came to the door and he knew he looked me right in the eyes like and all he said was max in the office now and turned around and walked out and this lady never came on the weekends like you know weekends away from the place that's how she kept it right and she showed up and you know as i was getting dressed to go walk across the little courtyard or whatever i hear a knock at my door and it's her. Her name is Sue. And I remember and I had become friends with her because I'd been there so long. I think it was nine or 10 months or something like that at the time. And before I could lie to her, because she's like, hey, what's up, Max? I just said, I did it again. Yeah. I'll never forget. The lady grabbed me, gave me the biggest freaking bear hug and said, pack a bag, get in your car and get out. I'll handle Steve. Come back in three days and test clean. We'll start over. And, and that's what happened. I left for three days. And the last day out, you know, I was at a friend's is my clean and sober date, September 27th. I haven't had to pick up a drink or a drug or even think about picking up a drink or a drug since then. That obsession has definitely been lifted. It's because I did the work and because I really truly was done. I think right. it was that was my bottom, even though it wasn't bad. Like I already yeah. had gone through bad bottoms. For me, that was it. Like, you know what I mean? Because I realized I I abandoned my kids again, you know, after getting to see them, after not seeing them for nine years, I go and do my thing and disappear for five months again. And right. that was just a crazy process that happened as I yeah. look back on it now. It's just a series of surrenders, what happened for me. 
Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and then I read about your uh, going to your friend's house, and really it touched me, man, because you talk about how you had a bad relationship with men because of your father's, you know, promise to you and how, you know, he had died, unfortunately, and you took that, you were really angry about that, but when you went to your friend's house and he prayed with you, man, and <laughs> you were like, damn, I mean, that, that impacted me a lot because reaching out because i found the process of reaching out and talking to other guys is not as bad as you think right you, know, you want to be all macho and stuff but really man we're we're human we have fears we have doubts and when you have that band of brothers absolutely you know, the camaraderie it just makes you stronger give me just a little quick thing on that when you that experience what you experienced when he sat down and prayed with you well see i'm glad that you asked that because this sober date is only three days difference from my first one, which was September 24th when I first got sober. So when she told me to leave, that was actually the 24th or whatever that day. So I took off. I ended up, as you read, I went to some motel for the night because I couldn't be on property. And I stayed there, you know, testing PD shows up. And because I'm on probation, of course, they please don't just show up to your door when you're not making any noise, you know, it's right. We search your place, and, you know, like I'm going to look at this, these officers are going to go, if I tell you no, you're really going to turn around and walk away. Anyway, so I stayed that night. So I leave the next day. It's like the 25th or 26th. And I get a call from my friend who had went through the same place. And at this time, he's engaged. He's got two years sober. He says, why don't you come to my place, stay the night, and then you can go back in the morning and, and you can start over. Because word travels fast. Yeah especially in the, that community. And I said, okay, cool. So I remember it was the 26th that day, you know, they fed me really well and <laughs> let me sleep on their couch. And like I said, engaged to be married and, and I'll never forget. Cause it was like, by the time we were all done talking and they went to bed, it was about 10 or five minutes to midnight. And I'm still coming down. Like my head is all over the place, but I'm finally okay. going to sleep. I can sleep at least tonight for a little bit and then start over. And then I hear the door open and the hall light come on. And then he comes into the living room, turns on the light. He's like, hey, bro, get on your knees. And I'm like, <laughs> you're tripping, bro. Like, literally, I wish I could have took a video because I'm like, dude, you're like, dude, I don't know what you did last night or when you were in that room, but your fiance is back that way. Dude. He's like, no, stupid. And my nickname, my nickname my first year of sobriety was idiot because I would say or do some really stupid shit. Excuse my language. And I go, he goes, no, dude, we're going to say the third and seventh step prayer. And I'm going to say a prayer for you. And we got on our knees and we held hands. And that was the first time a man or anybody had ever done that with me. And that's why when I looked up at the clock, when we were all done, it was about five minutes after midnight and the next day. So September 27th has been my clean date for over 17 years now. And that's awesome, I'll never, man. you know, and I've always tried to. I've helped that guy in the past, you know, the guy I last time I heard, and this was a couple of years, he was in jail. Right. Ready to go. Wow. He'd look at prison. Right. I don't know the whole circumstances. I know he had some mental health issues, but I pray for him because yeah. he did. He saved my life that night. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I haven't had to pick up. And it's weird because I haven't had to pick up, but then yeah, he went out there and, and did it all over again a few yeah. times. That's awesome, man. That's a, such a, a inspirational story and i know you talked about that one bad year of your life when your sister and your brother and your mother died and yeah. how it just like i i can't imagine it i had my best friend die i had one year 2016 
I think that's the same year it happened with you. Mm-hmm. And my best friend died. It was like a brother to me. I had neighbor kid die. My daughter's ex-boyfriend who lived right down the street, who was like an Eagle Scout, he died. It was like insanity. And I mean, I don't mean to open up old wounds, but to me, when you talked about that, those three things, it really was like doing what I do is, is what needs to be done and pain and all that going through that really kind of made you do another PowerPoint move, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't see it when you're in the midst of it, but like, as you continue to do what you got to do and like in our case, help others, right? Like that's what we were born for. Right. Like God, I believe, puts you through these things to show me the strength he's given us, right? Like, so to go through that again, yeah, it was uh, late 2015. It was three days after I turned 13 years sober, my sister would pass. Right. Eight months later, my brother would lose his battle to addiction and hang himself. Right. And hmm. six months to the day on Thanksgiving day, my mom would pass away. Right. And that following Monday, I'm sticking my youngest daughter in treatment. And I'm just, you know, I mean, that was like, for me, that was the worst. I would take some of the stuff I did in my addiction over that any day. Yeah. What I realized after getting through that, you know, and all the support, of course, because I've had a ton of support was like, okay, God kept me around for a reason. Now it's my time to build something for myself, a legacy for my kids and still put helping people at the forefront, whoever maybe whether it's guys, women, you know, just to show people that you can go through anything and you can get through it and you don't have to hurt yourself. You don't have to put stuff in your body. There's a way to do it. And, you know, it took me a while to get to that point. Last year is when I got the book out, when I realized, see, because I wrote the book, that was more because I needed to do something to heal. Yeah. I didn't write the book thinking I was going to be some Pulitzer Prize winning, best-selling New York Times, you know, for whatever. I said, I got to do something because I know me, if I held it in, I'd probably not be sitting here talking with you. Right. So I reached out to people and then recently, you know, and both my friends that are not in recovery that helped me with that book. And, and my sponsor at the time goes, yeah, I think you need to get it out. Do whatever you got to do. You know, that I, whatever it takes to keep you sober, you do it. And I'm like, right. okay, it was definitely a healing process to write the book and, and to get out the things that I get through my challenges with. And I don't even like to call them struggles, even though they are, I like to call them challenges because I think we talked about it. I do. I did a lot of visualization. I still do today. And here's my go-to, right? When I'm going through a problem or a struggle or a challenge. Remember, I played for the Houston Oilers. What's his name? God, I just went blank. The, the running back that had like redwood tree trunk legs. Oh, Earl Campbell. Earl Campbell. So what I do is I, I envision me being Earl Campbell, just whether it's going through the outside or up the middle, how that guy used to just run people over. Like, yeah. like they weren't even there. So I used to do that a lot. Yeah. When I got where I figure, okay, I got to pick something that can help me get through this stuff. Oh yeah. Earl Campbell was, or that vision when Bo Jackson just totally ran over Brian, what's his name and knocked him back into the end zone. And And that's how I have to, you know, that's what I did. I just started visualizing here's my challenge. And this is what I'm going to do to get around it, through it or over it. Yeah. Yeah. Using that in a positive kind of way that by the writing. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I mean, how many people do that, write a book? I mean, through that, all that grief and just that's your therapy. I mean, for me, the therapy was learning, understanding myself better, becoming a more better man and understanding women. Like you read that Queen's Code. 
I read a couple of books about you know the five love languages and you know how to be a, a better man and that got me through my pain but dude you had a hell of a lot more pain than I did man and I just I so admire you for what you've done it's to me a, a awesome example of how guys can make a transformation if they got the guts enough to face their truth right because the theme I hear from you man every time you spoke your truth things worked better for you I mean, you told that cop to take you away and you told your mom, I don't know. And you told that, that director, hey, I fucked up. I did it again. And it was kind of like a bouncing or a kind of like a pivot that, you know, kind of helped you grow and move and just, just amazes me. One more thing about your wife, how you met your wife. That story was awesome. I mean, I know it was a sad part, but it was like kind of a crazy way for you to go over that little um, instance with your, how you met your wife and how y'all got together. Oh uh, yeah. That that blows people away. And there's some people that yeah. still weird, but that's, you know, it is what it is. And everything like we know happens for a reason. So the way I met my wife, we just celebrated three years of marriage in July. Awesome. So unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, she dated my brother. Right. Right. And they were dating at the time, but I only knew of her a week before he passed. Up until that point, I didn't even know who Lisa was. And because he didn't share much about it, you know, because he was doing his thing. He was relapsing. He wasn't going to tell me what's going on. And the only reason I knew about her because she friended me on Facebook as I was moving to Minnesota with my ex fiance at the time. And it was actually a picture of my brother making a funny face. So, you know, I blew it off like, I'll do, I'll yeah. do it. So what happened is, is when I got that call in Denver, Colorado, you know, that my brother had hung himself. I didn't know the details. That's all I knew was that he had hung himself. And so his ex-wife had called me not too long after and said, you know, your brother are, yeah. Your brother had FaceTimed his girlfriend. Wow. You know? And she was tripping out because she didn't know what was, you know, and, and natural human reaction is going to be like, what did she do to him? And which yeah. that's not the case. You know what I mean? My brother snapped. I mean, right. he FaceTimed her while he was, my wife still struggles from PTSD from that, you know? Right. For most folks, we, you know, going to bed and at night, going into your room and getting into your comfy bed is a safe place. Well, that's not the case with her. You know what I mean? She's got very bad insomnia. So back to my story is that after I got back to Minnesota, and was asked to come home, you know, because I was going to do the eulogy for my brother. Her daughter had texted me and I almost forgot, right? And then when I found that out, so when I came back to California, which was like a week later, I texted her daughter and I said, hey, would it be okay if I call your mom? You know, can I get her number? And her, yeah, that should be fine. And this was just days after. So she was still in shock. So I don't know. If, yeah, I think I called her. I called her. And I said, hey, you know, this is Max, Teddy's brother. I go, I want to apologize for what my brother did. I go, I, I can't say how you must feel, but I just want you to know that I'm sorry for what he did. And she's like, it's okay. It's not your fault. You know, I'm hanging in there. And, and that was it for a while. And mm -hmm. I stayed in California for a few weeks. I did his eulogy and then headed back to Minnesota at the time. And I got a text say, can we talk? You know, and it was, I'm like, sure. So, because she knew through my brother that I was in recovery. And that I was a counselor. So she, of course, wanted, like, why couldn't I see the signs? Why couldn't I, t you know? And I told her, I go, look, one, you were too close. Two, you loved him. And I said, you're not going to see. And two, you don't know. I mean, I know you've probably been around addicts, but when you're, we're good 
at hiding things. We're good at manipulating. We're good at letting everybody know, even though on the inside we're dying, that we're okay. You right. know, and we just talked. We just, I tried to give her the best answers that I knew, both from a recovery standpoint and from a counselor standpoint, you know, and just trying to answer her questions and being as compassionate about it as I could, you know, right. because like, oh, it's pretty brutal. I go, when, when someone's in full flight from reality like that, there's nothing you can do to stop it. I don't care. Unless you're God himself, there's no way you're going to stop it. And it's not your fault. So we talked for like five months and then wow. it was my relationship with the past ex was getting bad out in Minnesota. You know, I was getting accused of not being compassionate and I'm like, wow, what do you mean? I go, I travel. I left Orange County where all my support, family systems, friends are. So you could be here closer to your daughter. You're telling me I'm not compassionate. Right. Yeah. You did we were, it all for right? Yeah. And then we ended up breaking up. I came back to California and the rest is history. And you know, my wife and I have been together for four years total and been married for three and, and it's been a great relationship. Has it been awesome. perfect? Absolutely not. But we don't argue, we don't fight, you know, yeah. we have disagreements, but you know, I, that's one, another promise I made when, you know, along the way to God, it was like, I'll be a better husband if that ever happens again, or a better boyfriend, you know, than I was right. in the past. And, you know, and like right now, then that's, what I'm working on is to be a better husband to her. And because I, yeah. I if it don't work, if something happens, say, God forbid, a freak accident, she, I'm done. Like I am off the, I'll be like, she told me when I first met her, she goes, I'm so far off the singles list, there is no list. Like I am. <laughs> and at the time, I couldn't blame her, right? You know what she just went through. And right. But to me, our relationship's perfect because we get each other and, and we are yeah. best. We're friends first. We became friends first. It was our relationship was not based on sex or yeah. It was nothing but talk for five months. You didn't get to know each other. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's such a great story because I know what's what I look for in my marriage was that good flow, that you know, great communication. And and we were just two different people and we did not belong together, but I stuck it out because I was a Catholic and that's what you do. You know, you stay there for the kids, you know, and I found out it was probably the worst thing I could do, but such an amazing story that you two ended up together just over a, a conversation. Well, you know, a bad conversation, but how that happened just to me, I mean, you just, like you said in your book, uh, once you surrender to God, you, you become stronger for the battle, man. That was just, can you just like, where did you get that? Was that from the Bible? Or was that from the, um, no, see when I got that, when I first got clean and sober, I, I, the last time, you know, after my, like when I made that decision, like no matter what, right. I'm going to go to my meetings, I'm going to do this, you know, like I'm never turning back. I'm going to work the program. So I think I was about 30, I want to say 30 or 60 days sober. Right. And like I said, I was only going to that mix. It was a mixed meeting. It was a great meeting because there was a lot of old time, but it was, well, one of my friends that went to that meeting goes, hey, I got a great meeting we're going to go to. Would you like to come along? And I'm, hell yeah, for sure. Like, I'm always up for a good meeting, especially, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, well, we're going to meet other girls because there'll be other girls. <laughs> so he picks me up when we go to this meeting and it became my home group for 10 years. Like I've wow. been missing Thursday night, unless I was absolutely knocked out in bed or on my deathbed, I would not. And for like 10 years, I've maybe missed one or two meetings. Right. I walk into this meeting, right, with my buddy, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, 
I think this dude took me to a wrong place. I, I, I hit him like, dude, I think we're in the wrong place, bro. There's nothing but dudes here. I go, I don't roll that way. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, shut up, bro. He goes, just shut up and listen. You're going to like, <laughs> and that, like I said, became my home group for 10 years. And I learned from some old timers that were really down to earth. They're like, surrender doesn't mean give up. Surrender means to win. Come to the winning side, right? Mm -hmm. So when you surrender to God, you're coming on to the winning side and he's going to help keep you sober. And that's what I learned because I made that decision too. like, because early in my recovery, I mean, I hung around with some really good people, but I was in a place where half the population were convicts. We were right. all on probation, right? So I still had that street mentality and I'd hang out with certain people and I was like, but this time I changed everything. You know, I looked for the guys that were in long-term marriages or relationships. I watched how they treated their girls in and outside of the rooms, you know, at home, how they treated their kids. Cause I go, that's the people I want to be like, right. You know, if they're walking the walk and talking the talk, that's, I think what God wants me to do. He doesn't want me to go, you know, cause in the beginning I could talk a good game in a meeting and I could make you look like I was the best speaker ever, but I wasn't living the lifestyle. So right. yeah. but God humbled me. So like I watched these guys and a lot of them told me that's what surrender means. It means to come to the winning side. So excuse awesome. me, that's how that came about. That was, I mean, it's such a great, I mean, that really, that was like one of the things that's reached, reach out to me. Damn, that is so powerful. It's like just giving, surrendering to the higher force because we don't know at all. Like you say, you keep on learning. And you just surrender to that and just kind of like you become stronger in the battle, man. That, that was a, a great PowerPoint for me when I read that book. But all right, Max, just give me a couple more things on your like the 12 step program. Like what were the main things that really I mean, what what point of that program was really like the kind of accelerated you? Was it just the whole process or just was it like, you know, I know certain books I read or something like that, like your book, that bait surrendering and, and turn that strength into battle. Was it like a, a one or two step that really just like you know, aligned with you or just like made you stronger, like bam? Right. Well, for me, my what my sponsor would always tell me was trust the process. Right. And when I was first getting sober and my mind's all over the place because I had messed up all over, you know, when you're that always stuck with me. And then I would be like, OK, man, I don't know what you're talking about, bro, but you need to explain yourself. Right. Just, I need to tell me, just trust the process. Do what you got to do. Okay. So I think it was in trusting that process and reworking my steps that last time, you know, well, not the last, but after the last relapse where I, like I told you, when I made that promise, I, that meant like doing the work, not doing some half-assed job and going, I did it. Like I'm right. cool. And watching my life change as slowly as it did, you know, I, I go, man, this, you know, I guess it was my outlook, how I looked at life, like, yeah, I may not have what I want right now, which is good because I'm getting everything I need. I'm just going to keep trusting this process. I'm going to keep trusting God that he's going to take care of me. And he has, you know, every, it was weird. It went from working construction jobs, having to carry my toolbox and bucket, you know, to the bus stop, complaining the whole time, and then finally getting my first car again and how things just progressed. And every job I've ever gotten has been with a pay increase, you know, I've never yeah. stayed going back to school and, and making a promise to my mom that I'd be the first child of hers to get a four-year degree. Right. And unfortunately she passed before I was going to walk. And so I didn't even walk, which is no big deal, but I still got that. She got to see me graduate, you know? Right. So, but I think what, what happened for me, if I can pinpoint something that was 
I can give you like, like you can visualize. So that four step, right? The four step in the 12 step process is where you, you get everything out, every secret, every nook and cranny of your life with whoever your mentor you want to call it, your sponsor. And then you, you share it with him and give it to God and, and you move on. Cause like I told you the first time I did it, it was maybe three quarters of a page. And as I handed my page to my sponsor the first time, he kind of looked at me like he wanted to laugh out loud. Like, really, dude, <laughs> you just ran the streets for night. You just got out of jail. And you're going to tell me that this is your life on three quarters of a page. Right. So when I finally did it honestly and thoroughly and to the best of my ability, it took us three, three and a half hours to get through it. Wow. And I think that's one reason I haven't had to look back and think about relapse because I gave it all. I put it all out on the table with another man, you know, like I said, you're right. I had trust issues with, with other men because I had those abandonment issues right. and it came from my father, you know, which I, I forgave my father. He did the best with he could with what he knew it was an exercise I did with that, that house manager and my sponsor about first writing the anger letter to my dad and then following it up with a forgiveness letter. And then that four step, right. when I finally felt like I got everything out Literally, Steve, it felt like that silverback gorilla that was on my back had me in a chokehold. Right. Finally let go and, and and jumped off and I could stand straight up again. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow. And I could look people in the eyes and you know, because that man that became was my sponsor. I still I still consider him my sponsor, even though he's moved out of state. Knows every that man knows everything about good, bad, or indifferent. That guy knows everything I've ever done, what I what I do today. Because I never, you know what I mean? When I realized that that man was there after those four relapses and then never really let, that was me that left again. I realized there are good people and this man has stuck by my side, you know? And then of course I've got other male mentors and even some female mentors that show me how to live life ethically and with passion, compassion and all that good stuff. And, and those are the people that I look to and, you know, but for a long time, I still had that negative self-talk well i'm not good enough to do this stuff you know what i mean yeah. how am i going to help someone but right i have the same you know yeah. that that has changed over the last few years that's awesome yeah man what a great story man guy and, and such a to me just inspirational as far as where you came from and where you ended up and just the peace and content i see in your face man it's just to me is like something that people need to hear about especially men who are at the you know, kind of a low level and just really have no way to go. All right. I just want to get to promote your book a little bit. And Max, I'm going to butcher your last name again. Can you say your, your book name of your book and your, your, your last name? All right. It's Max Mace, like a long A sound. Max Mace. Uh, the name of the book is Fearless Happiness. And the happiness has a Y instead of the I for a reason. And it's called My Addiction, My Battles, My Recovery. And it's just about my journey from active addiction to where I'm at today and some of the things. And most of all, the principles that I live by today that keep me on the sober side instead of back to the using side. Awesome. I don't want to ever go back to the dark side, as I say. That's why I remember I was teasing. I'm going to catch my sponsor one day in his office, and he's going to be floating with this green aura telling me, use the force, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, man, you've been doing this all along. You know, I always tease him. I call him my Yoda. And he just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And you have like a website or a uh, email people can contact you if they need some help or anything? Yeah, you can get a hold of me through my website, which is maxnace.com, M-A-X-N-I-J-S-T.com. Or my website is fearlesshappiness 
at gmail.com. And remember that happiness has a a Y instead of the I. That's right. Because it's all about, it's not I, it's we, right? There's no, there's no I and team together. Everyone achieves more, but thank you, man. I mean, even talking to you again, I know we talked a few times, I just get more and more like I get filled with goodness from you, man. You got a great gift. And I I hope you guys check all uh, Max stuff out. His book is fantastic. It's a short read, but I love books that are short reads, you know? I finished your book like within maybe hour, an hour and a half. And I was like, yeah, man. And it was packed with great stuff. But thanks once again, Max. I appreciate you taking time out to talk to me today. And fellas, remember, thanks for joining in. Subscribe, rate, and review this. Look up. I'll have all Max's information on the bottom of the podcast screen. And I just remember, guys, my goal and my mission is to help 300 million men across the world to make their comeback take their balls back and get their swag back. And remember guys, it ain't over to they're patting you on the face with a shovel. Thanks for tuning in. Steve Clements signing off. Thank you for tuning in to get your swag back podcast with Steve Clements. And if you like this shit, please subscribe, rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you know anyone that may need to hear this podcast, which is 90% of the men in the world, send them my way. Please send us your feedback, questions, and comments to swagbackdoc at gmail.com. I love reading hate mail. Thanks for listening, and fellas, take your balls back and get your swag back. See you next podcast.